Well, I have a new favorite website, and it doesn't take a lot to entertain me. I Googled and found time-lapse photography of the rebuilding of the I-85 bridge to collapse on March the 30th. Anybody else watch that besides me? I'm the only, oh, two of us. It's an app called Ox Blue, or if you Google Time Lapse I-85, you will see pictures. This one was this morning, about 8.40 something. And I've watched them build this bridge. Uh, there's Piedmont going that way, and you're looking, at, you're looking to the north, and uh, they did the rails yesterday, and I've watched every bit of it. I feel like they should give me a check because I've helped build this bridge that they've worked so hard on. They have not stopped since it fell, and I think they've done a great job, by the way. Uh, without my mind, I thought it was a good metaphor to talk about church, our Christianity, uh, as bridge builders. Let's talk about that today. Before we go further, let's pray. Lord, Bill's right. People need the Lord. And we have the Lord, hopefully all of us in this room. So it's our job, our privilege to go out and share Christ with the world around us. Help us to do that, to be a light in a dark world. Help us to build bridges to each and every one that we encounter every day. In Jesus' name, amen. The word bridge is not in the Bible. Uh, but Jesus was the greatest bridge builder. And there are many, many stories, but this one really sticks out to me. And we're going to read a story from John chapter 4 and then talk about it. Beginning in verse 3. He left Judea and started back to Galilee. But he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was. And Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well, and it was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a Samaritan, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us the well with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I give will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You're right saying I have no husband, for you've had five. The one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, with big eyes, I am sure, sir, I've seen the church properly. We skip to verse 27. Just then, the <coughs> disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with the woman. But no one said, what do you want or why are you speaking with her? 
The woman left her water jar and went back to the city and she said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything that I've ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city. They were on their way to him. Now in verse 39. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I'd ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. He stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It's no longer because of what you said that we believe. We've heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. So why did I pick this story of Jesus being a bridge builder? Well, you likely know that Jews hated Samaritans. Bad blood for over 700 years before this point, and they just did not get along. This was... A horrible feud. In fact, most Jews at the time of Jesus would not set foot in Samaria. Look at this map. We're told as the story begins, Jesus is traveling from Judea to Galilee. You see Judea on the south. You see Galilee on the north. You see smack in the middle, Samaria. The logical route from point A to point B is to go due north right through Samaria, but the Jews would not do this. You see the dotted line, perhaps? They would go to the east, and they would cross the River Jordan right at the tip of Samaria. And then they would head north, and when they got above Samaria, they would head west. That looks like that would almost double the journey, but that's what they did because no good Jew would set foot in Samaria. But not Jesus. He headed due north. Did you notice the wording in verse 4? Verse 4 says, but he had to go through Samaria. He had to. Why did he have to? Well, I believe he had a divine appointment. And he had a great teaching moment for his disciples. And he had a great teaching moment for us to as well. So let's talk about the divine appointment. John tells us it was new. And that's important. It's important because this is not the time that women would usually go and gather water. They would go in the cool of the evening or they would go in the cool of the morning, but not in the heat of the day. They would gather and it would be a social event and the time to see friends and to visit. And no one in the village would come at noon. But this woman did. Why? Well, she was an outcast. Living in adultery. A joke in her village. And she came because she just couldn't stand it any longer. She didn't want to be talked about or laughed at. And so with this divine appointment, here she comes at noon and waiting on her at the well is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. She was shocked. Verse 9 tells us of her shock. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? And then John adds the comment, Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. The Jewish rabbis of Jesus' day wouldn't even teach a woman. And yet here's Jesus talking with the woman of Samaria. If you're starting to get the picture, 
This woman is an outcast among outcasts. See who she is? This is about as low as it gets for the Jewish people. If anyone on the face of the earth that Jesus should not have associated with, it's this woman. If you could fill in the blanks about who should Jesus never talk to, you'd paint her picture, and here he is on a divine appointment for her. He was building a bridge. In his book about his World War II experience through the Valley of Pride, Ernest Gordon tells the following story. He says, we found ourselves on the same track with several carloads of Japanese wounded after we were freed from the Kauai prison camp. These unfortunates were, being, were on their own without medical care, no longer fit for action in Burma. They'd been packed into railway cars, which were being returned to Bangkok. They were in a shocking state. I'd never seen men filthy. Uniforms were encrusted with mud, blood, and excrement. Their wounds sorely inflamed and full of pus crawled with maggots. The maggots, however, in eating the putrefying flesh probably prevented gangrene. It was apparent why the Japanese were so cruel to their prisoners. If they didn't care for their own, why should they care for us? The wounded looked at us forlornly as they sat with their heads resting against the carriages, waiting for death. They'd been discarded as expendable, the refuse of war. These were the enemy. They were more cowed and defeated than we had ever been. Without a word, most of the officers in my section unbuckled their packs, took out part of their ration and a rag or two, and with water canteens in their hands, went over to the Japanese train. Our guides tried to prevent us, bawling, no buka, no buka, but we ignored them and knelt down by the enemy to give water and food to clean and bind their wounds. Grateful cries of arigato, thank you, followed us when we left. I regarded my comrades with wonder. Eighteen months ago, they would have joined readily in the destruction of our captors had they fallen into their hands. And now these same soldiers were dressing the enemy's wounds. We'd experienced a moment of grace. There in those bloodstained railway cars, God had broken through the barriers of our prejudice and had given us the will to obey his command, thou shalt love. That's building a bridge. And when I found that story this week, I thought about a family that used to live in this little house here at the shadow of the church, the boat went to Bob Boatwright's funeral last year. And I learned a lot about him. I learned that he was a soldier in World War II and saw a lot of things as a young man that he never spoke about. But after World War II, when he felt the tug of God's heart on the, to the mission field, he asked God to send me to Japan so I could love him. And that's an amazing, true story. And he built a bridge. And so many people came to Christ because he was willing to put aside those hurt, those prejudice. So earlier I said this was a teaching moment for the disciples and for us. Look at the disciples' reaction when they see Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman. 
Verse 27. Just then his disciples came and they were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But they knew better. No one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? But they wondered it. They wondered it. The disciples still had some prejudice and I suppose all of us do in some ways. <coughs> but she, Jesus shows us that we have no defense in the matter. Sadly though, at times, Christians can be wall, uh, wall builders and not bridge builders. Instead of who we can reach for Christ, the focus has become at times, who should we keep out? Who should we keep out? I took this picture several years ago, and it's one of those pictures I'll never get rid of on my phone. It's a sign in a church parking lot in Indiana. Look at this sign. No skateboards, no skates, no bicycles, no four-wheelers, no playing around on this property. You feel welcome? <laughs> think they're building a bridge to the community or think they're building a wall? That's a wall. And I've probably been guilty of it too. When it should be, it should be a bridge. There are no bridge builders putting up signs like that. If we're willing to exclude anyone, we're in danger of being wall builders and not bridge builders. Sadly, it seems that some have what I refer to as a go-to-hell list. Sorry, that's kind of blunt, but that's the way it is. I, I'll, I'll minister to them, and I'll minister to them, and I'll minister to But for those that I build the wall to, that's a go-to-hell list. And we can't have that. In his autobiography, Mahatma Gandhi wrote that during his student days, he read the Gospels seriously and considered converting to Christianity. He believed that in the teaching of Jesus, he could find the problem to the caste system that was dividing the people of <coughs> India. So one Sunday, he decided to attend services at a nearby church and talk to the minister about converting to Christianity. When he entered the sanctuary, an usher refused to give him a seat and suggested to him, go worship with your own people. Gandhi left the church and never returned. And he wrote, if Christians have caste differences also, also I might as well remain a Hindu. Gandhi was perhaps the most influential leader of his people in his day. And here was the opportunity to influence this influential leader for Jesus Christ. He was open to receiving Jesus and because of the prejudice action of an usher, he turned his back on Jesus and all the church. Think of what could have happened had Gandhi become a Christian. And how millions of people could have been influenced for Christ. We all have that same opportunity to influence the world around us, wherever we go and whoever is there. It's been several months ago that we live in a neighborhood, we've got all sorts of different neighbors. 
You name the demographic and they are in our neighborhood. All sorts. I got a phone call. One of my neighbors fell and they needed somebody to come and help pick them up. Well, ours is an uh, older neighborhood and I'm one of the young people. And so they call me to go pick people up. I didn't know these people and I went to pick him up. Do you know the question I did not ask? I didn't ask where he goes to church. I didn't ask what his background is. I didn't ask how much money he has in the bank. I didn't ask any questions. All I knew was there was a man that was down and he needed picked up. And that's the kind of bridges we need to build. No matter who they are, Bill's right. People need the Lord. So go and build a bridge to your family, to your co-workers, to your neighbors, to the outcast. It is a matter of life and death, of eternal life and eternal death. I have never been to Niagara Falls. Anybody been to Niagara Falls? Is there a suspension bridge at Niagara Falls? There is a suspension bridge at Niagara. You walked across it? You were born and raised here. Well, this story, and you can tell me after church if I got it right, when they built the first suspension bridge to do it, the first thing they did, they flew a kite over the falls. And somebody on the other side, when the wind was just right, got the kite, and now they had a thin line across the falls. And to the thin line, they tied a string, and they pulled that until it was bigger. And then they put a piece of twine, and they pulled that until it was all the way across. And then they did a small rope, and they pulled that across, and then a big rope, and they pulled that across. And finally, cables were tied to the big rope, and they pulled that across. And that's how they built that Today it might just be a threat, but whatever effort we make on Christ's behalf, he'll have somebody behind us with a cable. Do your part.